0: In the Pacific Ocean, a frightening and mysterious massacre took place. A race of stone giants carved a thousand years ago guard the shore in silence, as if unable to endure what they had witnessed. The clues to the mystery remain locked behind mute lips. There is no voice to tell who carved the giants and why hundreds of them were destroyed in the Easter Island Massacre. And he did that in search of... It is Friday, Friday, thank God it's Friday, November the 22nd, 2019. It is Friday, November the 22nd, 2019, and it's, yeah, almost... 11 p.m. here in Little Saigon. Here in Little Saigon, it's almost 11 p.m., which means it's not far from midnight, is it? Can you hear the tip-tappity-tip-tip tip of time. Can you understand that the clock will not reverse for you? Time progresses and we have no control over it. It is a powerful beestress. Time is a mistress of pain. Time is a destroyer of worlds. Time will take your heart and tear it in two. Time waits for no one, including you. That's right, my fellow humans. Time is a mistress, a a mistress of mirthful destruction. Time will meet you on the dark road of your own despair, but not at your convenience. Time will wander with you so through the wherewithal of your own wonder. Time will wither away your worldly bullshit. Time is a horrid hooker. Time... Yeah. It's Friday, folks. It's Friday, and it is... Hey, Thanksgiving's next week. I get to spend it with beans. I get to spend Thanksgiving with a French bulldog named Beans. So what's up with that intro? from In Search Of. Um, Yeah, so I watched that show when I was a kid. In Search Of. In Search Of Bigfoot, In Search Of The Loch Ness Monster, In Search Of D.B. Cooper, I will tell you that my dad, who was a logger in the Pacific Northwest, always hoped and prayed in his own whimsical Irish way that one day after felling a tree, he would find the decaying corpse of D.B. Cooper with lots of money, his couple hundred grand, his parachute all snagged up in the fucking tree. And if you don't know about the story of D.B. Cooper or that hijacking bullshit, research it. That's your project. I'm not going to go over it, not the topic of the podcast. D.B. Cooper hijacking, I think it was 1973 or something, but you can research it yourself, you fuck. Could have been 71. Tonight's podcast, although technically it's soon to be tomorrow because of the time of the night. Tonight's podcast is actually on a a core subject. And when I say that, that it's on a core subject, let me be more kind of specific or whatever. One of the things I've done in recent podcasts is that I'll revisit a subject matter because, um, well, maybe a listener reaches out to me and says, could you go into this in greater detail? And then maybe it's because it's hard for people to grasp what I'm getting at. And so tonight's podcast is about one thing, although it's gonna be about many things because that's the nature of the fucking subject people. Tonight's podcast is about the great discontinuity. Now, what do I mean by the great discontinuity? Well, before I get into that, before I define it, I'm going to talk about a couple of movies, okay? I want you, and if you've never seen these movies, that here's a homework assignment. I want you to watch both of them. I want you to watch one before the other. The first movie you're going to watch, if you've never seen it, is George Powell's. That's George and last name spelled Papa Alpha Lima. George Powell's When Worlds Collide. Came out in 1951, buddy. And the second film I want you to watch is Lars von Trier's Melancholia. Came out in 2011, buddy. That's right. I want you to watch Lars von Trier's Melancholia that came out in 2011. Now, these movies are different movies, okay? I'm not going to claim they're the same. They're not rehashes, okay? They're, They're really completely different stories with one thing in common. A very large celestial body is heading towards the Earth. And I'm picking these two movies in particular because they both demonstrate different responses to a coming calamity. In George Powell's When Worlds Collide, keep in mind, this was the time of, well, really, the Korean War. In many ways, the peak of Cold War paranoia. And this is just a few years after World War II ended. So in a lot of ways, people are kind of on edge. And it's basically, I don't know how to put this, but... Maybe people were more practical. Maybe they had more common sense. And I also think Americans, for good or for bad, I think we could debate this issue, but Americans in general had a kind of sense that they could do anything. Like there were, there were no limitations on what an American could achieve if given enough resources. It was, in its own way, a kind of hopeful time hopeful, because it was a time when people believed we could solve problems. We had solutions. If there was a problem, we'd have a solution. Now, folks, I don't want to get into where that led, because perhaps that led someplace kind of toxic. But at the time, that was the belief. So when Worlds Collide, that movie came out, it came out in that kind of a setting. And and the plot of When Worlds Collide is rather simple, uh, you know. Again, spoiler alert. In order for me to talk about these two movies, I'm gonna have to give away the core plot. The plot of When Worlds Collide is rather simple. Astronomers detect a planet is heading in our direction. It's more like a little solar system. It's not gonna technically hit the Earth, but it's gonna get you know go so close to the Earth that it will cause tremendous calamity, cause the, you know the you know, the continental shelves or whatever, the plates, the continental plates um, to move. Basically just, it'll tear the earth apart. And then ultimately I think the earth just gets destroyed. So in When Worlds Collide, um, they respond to this with a lot of honesty and truth and a lot of direct conversation and bluntness. I mean, they they figure out, you know what, we can't save everybody. We're not going to save the whole human race. They realized that, but they also realized that this other solar system had a planet. And this planet was potentially a place where they could live. And so all they had to do is build a rocket and, you know, the chosen few with, you know, requisite hunting and camping equipment would head off to this new world and live there. And hopefully be able to exist. I'm not going to give away the ending, because you can watch the movie. But the point is, in the film, When Worlds Collide, there isn't this sense of, we cannot do it. Yeah, there's drama. Good films have drama. Yes, there are question marks. Yes, there are little twists and turns. More to the movie than I'll give away. But the key idea, from my perspective this evening, is the following. People didn't give up hope. You know, I've talked about Guy McPherson in the past, and Guy McPherson is a good example of somebody who's trying to tell people just give up hope, or rather hope is toxic. If you're hopeful, if you have any sense that we could survive or we might survive, from his perspective, it's kind of like being mentally ill. I kind of sort of agree with him. When it comes to things that cannot continue, will not continue, that nature prefers should not continue, being hopeful about them is ridiculous, okay? It is kind of just ridiculous. And so I do agree that there are things in our world today that have no chance of existing in 10 or 20 years. I really just don't see how they can survive. But does that mean the human race is doomed? Well, I just don't know. But here's the thing. If Guy McPherson wouldn't really like the George Powell movie because there are too many holes in it, he would probably spend, you know, an hour or two after watching the movie explaining how all of it was ridiculous. There's no way this could work. The human race was doomed. They would have been better off sitting around, singing songs, talking to each other about their feelings. I really don't know. In the movie Melancholia, which interestingly enough um, debuted 60 years later. 60 years later. In the movie Melancholia, you also have a planet heading towards the Earth. But what you really have a lot of in Melancholia is a kind of exploration of a couple topics. One is depression. And again, Lars von Trier had a reason for, for using this subject matter to deal with depression. I don't want to go into that. But the other thing you deal with is how people um, in catastrophes can also respond in a different way. Like, in George Powell's When Worlds Collide, people are, you know, responding to a problem the way that, you know, America responded to World War II. Here's a problem. We We can solve it. We can build it. We can, you know, we can win. I mean, even if it was foolish and stupid at times, there was that basic sort of optimism about success. Um... And and I would say in Melancholia, there's none of that. There's also no sense of honesty. Like, no one's having the serious conversation about how this is the end. In fact, one of the main characters, not the main character, but a husband in Melancholia, um, played by Kiefer Sutherland, he actually is in a really bad state of denial. Because one of the themes of Melancholia is depression, but the other, in my opinion is the stages of grieving. The process people go through to finally accept that something is going to happen, that no matter what you do, no matter how you live, no matter who you pray to, something is going to happen and it is absolutely fucking unavoidable. Now think about that stupid in search of show about Easter Island. I've heard a lot of different theories about Easter Island, okay? I've heard a lot of different theories. And I even read an article, you know, not so long ago that claimed that Easter Island really wasn't a disaster. They just changed their diet and they dwindled slowly and, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't what people thought it was, blah, blah, blah. All of which could be true. I have no clue, folks. I don't know if the story of Easter Island is a true story or a false story. You know, it's like the the story of the the stone heads, but they turned out to be stone statues because they just sunk into the earth. That's what I'm getting at, folks. We see the heads because the statues sunk into the earth. That's my that's my thing, folks. That's the part that I I don't know how to put this, but the story of Easter Island that we have might be true. It might also be. The story that conquerors of the new world came up with to explain something that they didn't really understand. I, I truly, truly do not know. But let's think about the story as told. The story that I was told about was it was an issue of resources, and that they essentially ran out of resources and that they made poor decisions towards the end and they became rather cultish. And the you know, the whole building the stone heads thing was their irrational response to a real fucking problem and a good example of people going crazy instead of solving problems. Uh, In the movie Melancholia, there is no sense that anybody is dealing with the situation in any practical or coherent way. In fact, in the movie Melancholia, the 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 sister who is quote unquote normal, the sister with a kid, the sister that has the normal husband, Kiefer Sutherland, she basically goes through every fucking stage of the Kubler Ross process in about a day. Okay, in about a day, she she does the denial, the anger, the bargaining, the depression, and then the acceptance, kind of in the last fifteen fucking seconds of the movie. Now, folks, again, this is just a movie, but if if you thought about how people respond to situations today, ask yourself, are we a society of honesty and solving problems or are we a society of denial and deception and darkness and avoidance? It's kind of like the climate situation. I don't know the truth of the situation, but here's what I am convinced of, folks, beyond any level of convincing. I do not know the truth of the climate, but I know I am being fucked with. I know I am being lied to. It is the only certainty I have about the climate. I am being lied to. And the shit I see in the sky every fucking day? Yeah, it's not normal, folks, but I have no idea what it is. That's the truth. In the movie, When Worlds Collide, the people respond honestly to a situation. In fact, probably stupidly, as part of the storyline, the governments, you know, and, and I don't want to say stupidly, I, that's not the right word, probably and completely out of character, which means um, it's something governments never do, but probably out of character in the movie When Worlds Collide, the governments were honest. They were honest. The astronomers told people. They didn't keep it a fucking secret. It wasn't, we have to keep this a secret or people will go crazy. You know what, folks? If you keep shit a secret, if you actually do that, and that's one of the lessons of When Worlds Collide, you you decrease your likelihood of survival. Okay, The likelihood that you will survive decreases when you keep fucking secrets like that. In fact, melancholia might be a good example of the government saying, well, shit, if we tell people the truth... If we tell people that this fucking thing's going to hit us and there's nothing we can do, they'll go crazy and start stabbing each other. You know how fucking stabby these clever monkeys get when they get frustrated. (laughs) Yeah. In Melancholia, everybody, except for one character... And that's the character that Kirsten Dunst plays. And I don't want to give away too much, but man, she has a nice body. There's a particular scene in that movie that if you don't even want to see the movie, if you just want to see Kirsten Dunst laying naked in in the moonlight, that by itself is worth the fucking movie. Worth the price of admission, people. Even though it's a dark as fuck film. Very dark very very dark keep in mind it's me saying this as I'm playing this Melancholia I saw that film the first time a month I think no two months after my sister Nancy died of cancer wow those were some dark years people and then, like, less than a year later, my ex-wife dumps me. But then that's, that's kind of helpful. And I probably deserved it because I am a loser. That's why I live in Little Saigon, folks. Anyways, as I stated, we have a singular topic for tonight, the great discontinuity. But before I got into it too deep, I wanted to have a general conversation about how does a person respond to a situation like the one we might be in? How do you respond to crisis? How do you respond to a threat? Do you fight? Do you flee? Do you freeze up? Folks, there isn't a simple fucking answer. There really isn't. I'm not going to tell you that the right answer is to fight or the right answer is to run or the right answer is to stay put and meditate. Any of those options might make sense based upon the context. That is the problem, or rather the situation we find ourselves in. You want to know what the great discontinuity is? The great discontinuity is a period of history, and it's happened before. It's not like this is a new thing. It just so happens that we've we've leveraged ourselves up, folks. If you want to think of this in terms of debt, we have taken on so much historical, financial, complexity debt. At this point, we have levered up civilization so much that whatever happens next will be kind of fucking unprecedented for that reason. But that's a quantity thing, not a quality thing. That's about amounts, okay? Not about systems. A a historical discontinuity is a period of history where history becomes so unstable in terms of a civilization, in terms of a culture, that there are any number of possibilities of things that could happen. Yes, yes, yes. Like with catastrophe theory and chaos theory, there are strange attractors. There are weird nexus of convo- you know, maybe confluence or connection. There are these weird magnetic magnetic impulses and impressions and behaviors. There are waves, there are things you can see, there are patterns in a way. But the bottom line is this. Any historical discontinuity has one thing true about it. The likelihood of certainty approaches zero. Which means that if you think you know what's going to happen next, you probably don't. It doesn't mean you, can make, you can't make any predictions. It doesn't mean that there's, there's no longer causality. Or, or rather, it doesn't mean that we've descended into pure entropy or pure chaos. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that the kinds of normal predictions we would make, like who's going to be president, what's going to happen with the economy, is there going to be a World War III, those types of predictions are harder to make during periods like this. And I think we're in it. I think we're in the nexus of it. And, you know, are some futures more likely than others? Sure. You know, a discontinuity in mathematics simply means a point, a point at which, given the domain, um, that there is no longer any definition of a range. That for any given X, there is no Y. And that gap might be small, it might be big, but it is a gap. It might even be infinitesimal which means that literally another function picks up where the last one left off, left off, so to speak. So that essentially where, you know, n equals this amount, it, you know, plus one, you're on a new function. There's there's a, there's not really continuity, but there's not much of a gap. But the bottom line is, I don't know how big the gap is. We might be in the gap right now. In fact, the history that we're in right now might be literally the gap. Um. You know, the eye of the hurricane, maybe as Doug Casey would say, Doug Casey has talked about the idea that the greater depression is coming and that we've been in the eye of the hurricane for a number of years now. He might be right, but the point is we're in this gap, and the gap is a place where it seems kind of stable, but that's sort of an illusion. I don't know what's going to happen next. But the thing about the discontinuity is you have to be prepared for almost anything. Not literally anything. I don't think the list of possibilities is infinite. It's not like all of a sudden the center of the galaxy is going to open up and flood the heavens with objects from ancient times. I don't mean you have to be prepared for zombies. I don't think zombies are real. Zombies definitely violate a lot of scientific principles. I don't think you have to prepare for every fucking possibility. Anyways, I need to make make a quick note of something before we continue. But why we're chatting? Why we're chatting, you wanna talk about something else? Yeah, Friday fucking night. What are you doing this Friday night, man? I don't know. I'm thinking about the future, and it's a very horrible it's a horrible fucking topic. I just don't know. Ugh. Yeah, Thought I didn't cover it, kind of did, made a note of it, you don't even know what I'm talking about, and I don't give a shit, because, you know what, that's the way we roll the little Saigon report. So if you don't know the definition of a discontinuity, it represents essentially, how can I phrase this? Yeah, it essentially represents some gap either infinitesimally small or bigger between two states, two systems a discontinuity something is discontinuous it's almost like saying it's like a record imagine a record with a scratch A, a record that skips over and over and over again it just skips but imagine if a record like imagine if your record was skipping but then when it skipped it skipped to a completely different fucking record like, imagine you're listening to Beethoven, and then, all of a sudden, the needle on your vinyl skips. I know, kids, you guys you know what the fuck I'm talking about, if you're under the age of a certain age, but kids are getting back into vinyl, so who the fuck knows, maybe you know what the fuck I'm talking about. Imagine, if you're listening to some vinyl, old-school vinyl on an old-school turntable, And the record has a nick in it. And all of a sudden the record skips. You're listening to Nirvana. And now all of a sudden it's the Foo Fighters. That's weird. That would be an example of a discontinuous transition. Um, And these things happen throughout history. There was a year, 1848, sometimes referred to as the springtime of the peoples, many a country in Western Europe was up in arms in 1848. Revolutions and raucous crowds and all kinds of protesting all over fucking Europe. All the proletariat and the little folk, the peasants and other peoples, upset about the fucking monarchs and shit. Upset that they don't have a fucking vote. Well, you know, the men, of course. And yeah, 1840 fucking 8. That was a discontinuous year. A lot of things happened in 1848. Arguably, um, the path of a state called Prussia, a state that would unify a country that didn't exist yet called Germany, arguably that path was triggered in 1848. Didn't have to happen the way it did, but it did end up happening in a certain fucking way. There's more to it than that. I don't want to go into it. I want to go into Napoleon III and the French in Mexico. That happens later. The point, rather, is simple, folks. There are periods in human history where things become unstable, and it's relative. Like, you could think of it like a logarithmic scale, like the Richter scale. 1848 might have been like a one or a two. Okay, not, nah, you know, maybe a three. Bad, but not that bad. Assume, assume a, something like I don't know, a five is horribly catastrophic. Um, then maybe 1848 ranks it like a one. And again, it's logarithmic, it's not linear, so 1848 to a one. What we're looking at, I think, is a five. And it means that for the next few years, maybe even the next few decades, the future itself is a giant question mark. Now. I'm gonna go through a bunch of scenarios for the time we have remaining. And I'm gonna describe the scenarios in terms of likelihood, and then I'm gonna ask a question and we'll we'll talk about the question, at least in, in most cases. But basically, we're gonna think about these things in terms of, is this likely to happen given where we're at right now, today? And that's a big part of it too, folks. The best way to interpret the future now in my opinion is in term, is, is really um in is stochastically and in terms of Markov models. Um, it really is the best place to be. It doesn't mean you throw out, you know, continuity and charting and all that crap. If you're an investor, that stuff still works. But the time series is critical and any given day the facts are changing. And and so in that sense, a chart that might have been meaningful yesterday might be fucking irrelevant today. We are, And again, I'm sort of talking to financial people right now, but this applies to other things as well. This applies to the whole calculus of war. You know, where's a new war going to break out? Well, keep in mind, my operating assumption in the whole conversation going forward, this whole discussion, is that you've got to think of the United States government and all governments as basically criminal enterprises. And... To some extent, they're either small criminal enterprises, which means they just participate in a little bit of taxation, which means theft, and other kinds of abuse. Okay, there are small-scale criminal enterprises we call governments, and there are big ones. Our our criminal enterprise, our government, our crocodile, is quite fucking large. And yeah, it's probably riddled with tumors at this point, filled with fucking stomach parasites, But it is a gigantic fucking crocodile. So in this whole conversation, you need to know that I don't trust any data from the crocodile. It doesn't mean everything the crocodile says is false. It just means you have to be fucking skeptical, okay? And you have to glean the truth. It's hard, it's hard. The crocodile inadvertently, when it lies, tells a little bit of fucking truth. So the list of scenarios I'm gonna go over, they have likelihoods, but these likelihoods are gonna change every fucking day. So don't fucking take it to heart. If I tell you today what I think the most likely scenario is, that doesn't mean I will actually believe that tomorrow. Tomorrow, the data could change radically. This is a very strange tipping point kind of place we're at. And yeah, th- that's another good way of thinking about a discontinuous system. Imagine somebody spinning a plate um, on a, on a wooden pole. You know, like they're a fucking clown in the circus spinning a fucking plate. Imagine the clown spinning the plate on the fucking, the wooden pole. And then, all of a sudden, the plate spins off and breaks. That would also be a good example of what I'm talking about, folks. I don't know how much longer the plate's going to spin. And I don't know which direction it will break in, but it is going to break. So, yeah, that plate could go in any direction, but is the plate going to break? I think that's pretty much guaranteed, folks. Whatever happens next, the current paradigm The current way things work will not be the same. So let's go through the list. And finally, the list is not definitive. It's a fucking... It's a list, you know? It it may not be the best list. You may not like it. I'm sorry if you don't like my list of scenarios for the great discontinuity. I'll say that up front. It's not in any particular order either, okay? I kind of started with what I call um, my favorite best case scenario that is also the most likely best case scenario, which means of best case scenarios, which means scenarios that aren't too bad. This one um, might not be, it is the most likely best case. I think this is as good as it gets. Like if you're going to be hopeful, Here's the scenario to be hopeful about. Scenario one, and I've talked about this one before, actually. Let me drink some coffee first. Oh. Scenario one: Soviet Union style collapse. Okay, if if you were born after 1991, then you probably don't even know what the fuck I'm talking about. In fact you probably believe, if you listen to the CNN, that the Soviet Union still exists. If you listen to Hillary or the Democrats, you probably think the Soviet Union is still a thing. It's not. Um... And it didn't all happen at once you know you could argue that when the soviets left afghanistan in 1989 that was the beginning of the end and i gotta say folks it's possible that the same thing happens with us that when the that when the u.s troops finally leave places like afghanistan and iraq and maybe even japan and maybe even korea and maybe even europe yes all of our troops may have to come home that may be the beginning The best-case scenario, scenario one, is a Soviet Union-style collapse, and it will be ugly, and there will be shortages. And it's entirely plausible that the United States experiences a little bit of chaos, but in the Soviet Union-style collapse, there's still a future. And if we're lucky, and nobody takes advantage of us the way that the United States took advantage of Russia during the nineteen nineties under clinton and company um, using their good friend the drunk boris yeltsin if we're lucky and there is no power outside the country that decides to basically play games with our system then we might actually get to a good place faster who knows i mean the united states will be weak but will still have nuclear weapons so the likelihood that anybody's going to come along and really fuck with us eh, we fucked with the Russians, but then again, I don't know. It's, it's a tough question. I don't know if there's anybody who'd, who would be that bold. I don't think China will be in a position to be that bold, but who knows? The likelihood of this scenario, I think, is kind of low. And the question I'm going to ask is, this is the first question, how hopeful are you? If you're really hopeful, if you're an optimistic, hopeful person, This is the scenario I would bet on. And in this scenario, there's going to be breakdowns. Breakdowns in logistics. Breakdowns in delivery of things like water, like electricity, like the things you take for granted, like the fucking food at the grocery store. It won't be permanent, but yeah, for about five years, maybe up to ten, a lot of things you take for granted are just not going to be there. And you could see a United States that looks like the United States of the Dust Bowl, of the 1930s, of the Great Depression, it could get really bad. But it won't be the end of the world. And if we get through it, we get through to the other side, we might find that, that this country is a freer place, okay? So my question is how hopeful are you? Because if you're really fucking hopeful, if you're, those, if you're the kind of person who says, the glass is half full, you already know I think the glass is broken not even half empty that fucking glass is shattered on the floor but if you're one of those people that thinks the glass is half full then this first scenario I I, I decided maybe this is the reason why this is the first one this one's for you folks if you're gonna fucking say I need to hold on to something that could happen and wouldn't be terrible and might even be good long term which means we might have a free country again maybe not as free as i would like but freer than what it is as an empire that maybe um republican america which means the republic over the empire is a better place maybe we should be a free republic again and throw away the fucking empire that might be a good plan folks so how hopeful are you are are you a are you a dreamer are you a hopeful person are you a fucking optimist? Because if you are, scenario one is for you, buddy. Scenario two. Um, basically, resource-based, resource-based, based, um, collapse, which means not enough resources, like peak oil, peak copper, stuff like that. A collapse into hyperstatism. Now, what do I mean by that? Um, The situation gets dire. Americans want to make sure they have their automobile to drive to the Walmart or the big box store to get their shit. And in order to make that reality, you know, a thing, you need a lot of cheap energy, folks, and other shit. But you do, you definitely need the fucking oil. And so in this scenario, we basically collapse into hyperstatism but based upon resource issues, resource constraints. Um, If you've ever seen that, and I've never read the book or the short story uh, by Stephen King, but have you ever seen the movie with Schwarzenegger, The Running Man? The Running Man takes place in a future where, yeah, you have resource wars, and America is essentially being led by a military cabal. Um... So yeah, that's a scenario too. That's what I worry about is... But, but here's the funny thing, and this is the... What, okay, first, what's the likelihood? And, and I would say it's high, and let me explain why. What if we're already there? What if, what if that, in terms of the Markov space, what if we're more or less? Um, and again, I'm giving you a movie, but think of the movie as a metaphor for it, or as a way to get there in your mind. What if we're already at The Running Man? We're already in the space of hyper-statism, cameras everywhere, fucking... You know The Running Man had fake news. You remember that fake news bullshit? Where they constructed a a news segment um, showing uh, Schwarzenegger uh, shooting his helicopter machine guns into a crowd. That film had a lot of shit in it that... Was was still you know a few decades away, right? Um, but yeah, that's the the second scenario we're talking about, and that is resource wars, resource constraints, and a collapse not of the empire, but a collapse into hyper statism, which means more, more, more government, more cameras, more police, more prisons, more fucking pain. Yeah. And my question is, are we there? That's my question for this scenario, for this this possible future. Is this really a description of the present? Next scenario, which is a flip side of this one in a way. technology-based hyperstatism. Now, what does that mean? Imagine um, a kind of bonsai society. I've talked about bonsai societies. Bonsai societies are societies or governments or civilizations that usually have a government, some kind of crocodile, where the society itself is purportedly a utopia but the way in which it is made a utopia is through pruning and pruning is a nice way of saying elimination which means that the way you keep your society functioning is by eliminating things you don't want and in this particular case that's a euphemism for killing people and yeah but in this scenario it's you know hyper technology maybe even um a future where certain problems are solved, like the energy problem, but at a large scale so that basically it will be once again the government that gives you your electricity and everything else. Um, I don't think this is a very high likelihood. I think it's kind of low. But the question I would have is how much of a slave are you? Essentially, this is the future of what I call THX 1138. This is the Robert Duvall, shave your head, look like, everyone looks the same, everyone looks like a fucking, you know, mungus, no man, no woman, no sex really, just people hanging out and having no real feelings and no real fucking control. I I, I don't want to live in that future, folks. I don't think it's going to happen, but that could be me projecting. Every day I look at people and I wonder. And I don't want to get into another topic, because this is its own kind of scenario. But folks, for all the scenarios we're going through, you need to remember this. In the great discontinuity, history loves to blend. So just because we're talking about these scenarios as if they're separate from each other, doesn't mean they won't blend together a little. Because history loves the blend. Oh my God. History loves its blending. <laughs> Anyways. So that is the technology based hyperstatism scenario. And these numbers, like saying this is number three, don't get caught up on that. I'm gonna put the list in the description of the podcast so you can go back and look at them. The next scenario, and is the one I currently consider to be the highest likelihood. So of all the scenarios we're gonna go through, I think the next one has the highest likelihood. And I've been pretty much stuck on this one for several years, despite a lot of fucking confusing bullshit. From a lot of fucking people. Okay, I don't want to go into it any deeper, but I've met some people in recent years who tried to convince me of things like nuclear weapons are not real. And the people who run the world wouldn't harm themselves with nukes. And a lot of other bullshit, okay? So the next scenario is essentially World War Three, And so, you know, because of the na- because of the nature of weapons manufacturing, um, World War Three essentially, if it's a major war between China and the United States or fucking A, China, Russia, everyone else, if it's a major war, World War Three will be what's referred to as a come as you are war. In fact, that's a phrase that goes back to the Cold War. And the reason for it is simple. Contemporary weapons are not things you can really mass produce. Yeah, you can make them relatively quickly, and it's true, robots know how to do wire bundles, sort of. Although, I don't know if I'd want to fly in an F-16 where a robot did the wiring bundle. Just an FYI. That being said, um, for the most part, the weapons we build today, you, it's not like World War II. It's not like you're going to turn out hundreds of thousands of them a month. You're not going to. So, it's called a come-as-you-are war, because you come with what you have. And the estimates back in the 80s, the baseline estimates for a conventional portion of World War III, was that somewhere between three to six weeks, the Soviet Union and the United States would basically deplete all of their conventional forces for the purposes of offensive warfare. Which means that, between three to six weeks after World War III started, between the Soviet Union and the United States, and again, I'm talking about the Cold War here, not talking about today, it was believed that at some point there would only be one option left, and that would be battlefield nuclear weapons. So, and again, some people would contend back in the day that you get the battlefield nukes much faster. You know, again, this is not, today's scenario is not like the scenario between the Red Army and NATO, Back in the '80s, at, at the fold of gap, this is not that fucking scenario, okay, guys. This is very different. But it, but there are similarities, and this idea that you're going to go through your high-tech weapons pretty fast in a full-scale, um, in you know high-intensity conflict, A.K.A. World War, you're going to if you're if you're up against an opponent that has weapons even remotely as good as yours, and enough of them you're going to burn through your weapons. And so at some point, three to six weeks later, you're going to say to yourselves, fuck, the the battle lines have have been drawn, and maybe even worse. Maybe you're on the losing side of a conventional conflict and you have nuclear weapons. Nuclear war theory says you're going to use the nukes. It's just a question of when. And once you start using them, this is really fucking important, folks. Once the nukes start flying, the ability to turn off nuclear war decreases, which means that once one nuke goes, the likelihood that another will go increases, and it's not fucking linear. And by the time you get up to around 15 missiles being exchanged, you're basically stuck with a scenario where either side is going to say, either I use them or I lose them. And that is full-scale nuclear war. And, and so you know, even with all the fucking agreements, all the fucking arms control agreements, all that shit, even with all that, the United States by itself has enough nukes to send the entire fucking human race back to the Stone Age. And, and then some, really. Nuclear war, I think, right now is the most likely, and for folks who say, well, they would never do that, Because they're in charge and they're rich and powerful. We tested. I mean, they tested. Because people like us don't get to make these choices. They tested thousands of nuclear weapons above ground, below ground, at sea during the Cold War. And after the first five, they probably knew these things were fucking dangerous and toxic as fuck. After bikini tests in 1946, they probably knew that nuclear weapons were dangerous and that radiation was dangerous and that, yeah, you didn't need to know much more. But no, they kept on fucking testing these things. And and God knows how much damage was done to the Earth's environment. And don't even get me started on the magical pile of toxic bungus in the Marshall Islands that we capped off with a big old concrete dome and now the fucking ocean is leaking into it. So if you're asking me, what will the rich and the powerful do? I don't know what their limits are, folks. What I do know is this, if it's water that I drink, they don't have any limits. If it's air that I breathe, they have no limits. If it's food that I eat, they have no limits. Maybe they have their own magical air, water, and food. I really don't know. But when it comes to the stuff I have to use and the stuff you have to use, they don't give a shit, folks. They really don't. So would they allow, if if it was about they, them, the, if it was about a fucking conspiracy, would they allow a nuclear war? I don't see why not, as long as it achieves some fucking objective. And that's the key. What would be the purpose? means, motive, opportunity. They got the means. They got the opportunity. What would be the fucking motive? It's not that complicated, folks. If you've ever seen the movie Goodfellas, there's a part of that movie where they go into business with a restaurant owner and they, they say, we're going to go into business with you. We'll make money together. But... They need money from Polly to buy the fucking restaurant. And Polly is all, fuck you, pay me. So, they did all kinds of gimmicks with the restaurant. They took out loans they never intended to pay back. Probably put insurance on the building. They essentially stole money every way they could. And then, when they stole, all the money they could from that fucking restaurant when they took all the money they could out of it what did they do they set it on fire and if you think this is the this is you know this is a rare thing in human history that the rich and the powerful it's rare that they set fires go back to fucking Nero this is not a new fucking story folks the rich and the powerful love to set fires, especially if it's where poor people sleep. And given that most of the people that live in cities, even the quote-unquote rich upper-class people, are way lower class than them, no matter, if you live in a condo, let me explain this. If you live in some fucking nice condo in Belltown in Seattle, and you think, oh, I'm fancy pants, I make 170 k at Google, and I live in Fancy Pants condo, I have 800 square feet. I live on the 30th floor, did you know we have a vending machine that serves champagne? There's no way they would ever nuke Seattle, not with people like us here. Special fancy fucking people. I think the most likely scenario is a world war and i think it's going to be nuclear faster than people realize this has been even if it were a conspiracy um at the level of tactics and operations and even strategy for generals and admirals and colonels and oh fly boys at that level they don't know all they know is their current situation and their current situation will go from bad to worse worse very quickly and here's the thing, folks. The faster, in a, in a World War III kind of scenario, where you have opponents that both have nuclear weapons, um, and this applies to India, Pakistan, China, USA, Russia, USA, or Russia versus everybody that has nuclear weapons. And this would apply to Iran versus Israel. Um, if, they, if, if they both had nukes, we know Israel does, Iran does, Might not, I say might not, because I think there's a 50-50 chance that Iranians do have nukes right now. I just don't know. I can't prove it. It's just that the story seems to be drifting that way. In a scenario where all the participants in the nuclear war have nukes and conventional forces, the participant that feels they are losing is the first participant to use nukes, all things being equal. That being said, it's almost worse. Like, let's say the United States went to war with China. For all the fucking hoopla about Chinese fucking hypersonic weapons and super lasers and rail guns, for all the fucking bullshit, um, the United States military is still probably net net in accounting terms superior to the Chinese military for now, that might not be true in five years. But right now that might be true. I really don't know. But here's what I do know. If the United States um, is able to knock out their Air Force in the first 72 hours, and I think there's every reason to believe that the United States could knock out the Chinese Air Force in about three days, three to four days. I'm not saying it won't be bloody. It'll be bloody as fuck and you're going to have some major fucking dogfights. But the fact is this, we still have a kind of edge if you believe the American propaganda. I don't know if I do, but let's just pretend that's a story. For purposes of the story, if we were to rapidly defeat Chinese conventional forces, that just means they go nuclear faster. So instead of that three to six week window of both sides equally attriting each other of conventional weapons, it's not three to six weeks. It's within the first few days that somebody uses a nuke. So, this scenario can get out of control very, very fast. In the calculus of using nukes between Iran- um, Pakistan and India, listen, the Pakistanis will probably use nukes first. They have every reason to do so. Their situation is more difficult. And frankly speaking, I, I think the Indians have, have been kind of, you know, Setting themselves up as kind of the bad guy in a way in the situation, but it's hard to say. That being said, Pakistan is the weaker opponent. So Pakistan will use its nukes first. I'm going to get to the next scenario here, but I just want, like I said, folks, you know. And I guess the question I would ask um, all of you before I go to the next topic is, you know... Do you live on the West Coast of the U.S.? Do you live in Seattle or L.A. or someplace like that, Portland? If you live on the West Coast of the United States, in my humble opinion, you're probably going to be one of these sacrificial cities to the nuclear war, even if it's a limited nuclear war, even if it's a quote unquote conspiracy and they just want to tip the table over. So they have a grand conspiracy to have a little limited nuclear war. Even if that's the case, I think Seattle's toast, probably. Los Angeles' is toes, probably San Francisco. In terms of throw weight, and throw weight refers to what an ICBM can do. And if you don't know what an ICBM is, an ICBM is an intercontinental ballistic missile. And for all intents and purposes, until all of those missiles have been, you know, set up with hypersonics, I don't think they're there yet. We're talking about conventional rocketry still. Throw weight is how much weight in terms of warhead, a missile system can send to a target. So in terms of throw weight and what the Chinese can do, they can pretty much hit the West Coast. I don't really know if they're able to hit everywhere in the U.S. yet, but they can hit the West Coast. And with the hypersonics, who knows? I really don't know. A lot of this could be bullshit, folks. Okay? The United States has a history of both promoting its own bullshit, but also the United States, and especially the CIA, has a history of making enemies look scarier than they actually are. And you say, well, Dan, why would they do that? Why would the CIA or the the Department of Defense, or both, make China out to be worse or more scary than they are? Because they want more fucking money, you fucking dope. Okay? There was a thing called the Missile Gap back in the 60s, we were so afraid the Russians had all these fucking missiles and we had almost none, right? The missile gap was total fucking bullshit. Total fucking scaremongering bullshit. But it did get the United States government to spend more and more on nukes and missiles. Arguably the Minuteman 1 and the Minuteman 2 missile programs were directly a result of that scare process. Holy shit, the fucking Russians are going to nuke us. Anywho, next fucking scenario. Oh, look at the time. Holy shit, this is going to be a long fucking podcast, isn't it? I don't want to spend a lot of time on this next one because I've talked about it in the past, but this is a scenario involving the climate. And, and so you know, I don't want to get into whether or not the human race can produce enough CO2 to cook the earth because I don't really know. However, I did read a paper this last summer by a Dr. Shakova of the University of Alaska And this paper had to do with the Eastern Siberian Arctic Shelf, the Arctic Shelf in the Arctic Sea. The Eastern Siberian Arctic Shelf. Yeah, Arctic Sea. Anyways, she was studying something called um, methane hydrate um, and methane clathrate. And essentially, this refers to methane that's stored in the permafrost and in the Arctic Ocean, at depth, essentially a couple things keep the methane frozen. Pressure and temperature. And as long as they don't get, you know, sh- you know, shooken up or shaken up like champagne, the other thing that can affect them is seismic activity. But basically pressure, temperature, and seismic activity are the only things that affect these things. These, these methyl hydrates, these methyl, these methane clathrates, Basically, there's a lot of methane around the Arctic Circle. And there's a lot of frozen organic material that's becoming unfrozen that is going to convert to CO2 and methane and other materials. This is sometimes referred to as the clathrate gun. And if you believe Dane Wigington, um, the reason why the governments are doing all of this hardcore geoengineering is to either hide the fact that we are in runaway greenhouse effect, which is what the clathrate gun is, or to sort of continue to fight it, to say see if they can keep the Arctic cooler longer. Because according to this theory, if we lose the Arctic sea, if the Arctic sea has what's called a blue ocean event, which means there's no Arctic ice, then basically all that methane, put simply, we no longer have the albedo effect which means the Arctic ice no longer reflects sunlight. The Arctic Ocean, which is dark, now becomes a solar absorber, but it's worse. The Arctic had been a carbon sink, which means carbon was getting frozen there. Now the carbon's being released. So the situation isn't just that um, the Arctic is no longer the air conditioner. The situation is that it goes from air conditioner to heater. And that would be really bad. That's what the clathrate gun is, and it has nothing to do with your cheeseburgers or your fucking SUV, folks. In fact, this kind of event could be triggered seismically. There's a theory that a long time ago, a similar event was triggered because of a volcano. You know, again, you had lots and lots of frozen organic material, lots of frozen methane, volcano goes off, um temporarily heating a region, heating up this material, and that causes a runaway greenhouse effect. Now, since there's life on Earth today, that means logically, life was not destroyed. But that doesn't mean that life was not reduced. I don't know if the clathrate gun theory is solid or not. I've read a lot of government stuff that says, don't worry about it. But fuck, you read shit from the government. They tell you not to worry about everything that ends up killing you. So I'm not really going to go to the US government and say, please tell me if the clathrate gun theory is true or false. I have no idea. Please do your own research. This is a scenario I am mentioning. Even though it's likelihood, in my opinion, is probably low. Which means in terms of concerns, I would not rank this one high. The impact would be huge. And the only question is how fast. Because I've gotten various estimates, but if, if the clathrate gun trigger was pulled somewhere between a few months to a couple years and the Earth is simply too hot to live on, like there's no place on Earth where any human could live within a couple years. That's basically how quickly a positive feedback involving frozen methane could operate. You can think of it this way. According to Shikova. You could get a single release that would be roughly 50 gigatons in size and that one single release could raise the earth's temperature on average by one degree celsius within about i don't know according to the paper i think it was like 90 days 120 days might have been something mentioned by guy mcpherson or dane wigington but it wouldn't take very long once that happens all the other frozen methane all the other methane that's been trapped, all of a sudden its temperature pressure situation changes and it gets released too. And it's not just the Arctic Circle. Now you're talking about methyl hydrates around the world because all of a sudden their temperature pressure situation is changing. This gets worse and worse and worse. And this is also sometimes referred to as Venus Syndrome. Now, what is the likelihood we would end up like Venus? I think zero. Because Venus has a couple things going on. Uh, not least of which is it's, it's a lot closer to the sun. But could we, for a while, be a planet where the average temperature on Earth is around 200 degrees? Yeah, maybe. I mean, who knows? I don't know. So this scenario, in my opinion, and this could be wishful thinking, folks, I think this has a low likelihood, and it may be because of wishful thinking. Like, I may not want this to happen, and that's why I'm saying it's probably not going to happen. But I have to tell you something, the reason why it's in my list is because the shit that's going on in the skies, that everybody tells me is normal, does not look normal. And the weather is not normal. And it's, it's really strange, that ridiculously resilient ridge bullshit that apparently makes sure that we have a permanent drought on the West Coast. This stuff is weird, folks. The weather is strange, and it does look like Dane Wigington might be right, that our government has been messing with the weather. And it's entirely plausible that the main reason is to convince people that there is nothing to worry about. And when I say people, I don't mean everywhere. I don't mean everyone on Earth. No, no, no. It's just special for us folks. To convince Americans there's no problem. Maybe Dane Wigington's right. Next scenario. The culling. What is the culling? What is the culling? What does it mean to cull a herd? The culling um, refers to basically this idea that the people that run the world believe that there should only be so many of us. And again, the culling could take many forms. And this is also my point, folks. When I said different scenarios and how they might mix or blend, the culling can blend with other scenarios. So when I say the culling, It could be the case that the powers that be use nuclear war for the culling. They might also use some sort of a technological innovation run amok. Who knows? But the scenario of the culling is, is kind of based upon those Georgia Guidestones. You know, the one that says, let's reduce the human race to something manageable, like half a billion people or something, 500 million or something like that. Yeah, I think that there is a desire on the part of people who run the world, and they've talked about it, they've expressed it. There's been some predictive programming around this. There's been conversations. It's been in our culture, in our media, in our art for many, many years now. This idea that there are too many fucking people, and somebody's got to do something about all these goddamn people... And the kings and the queens have decided the magic number is 500 million. And so, maybe it'll use bacteria. Maybe it'll be a war. Maybe it'll be some sort of fucking monkey flu. I think the likelihood of a culling is? I think it's 50-50. Let's call it medium. And the reason why I'm ranking it so high is that I'm a Christian. I used to be an atheist. If you'd asked me a number of years ago about the possibility that there are these evil cabals that think they run the world, I would have said that sounds like a lot of Hollywood bullshit. These days I'm not so... E- I, I don't so easily dismiss it. I don't dismiss the idea that there could be people who think they run the world, just like Lucifer thinks he has a plan. Listen, from the devil's perspective, he's gonna win. You have to understand this, folks. If you were the devil, you would think you're gonna win. You have zero respect for people, and you wanna teach God a lesson. And you're a jilted lover. You need to understand this. When we're talking about the devil, we're talking about jealousy. Yeah. Jealousy is one of the worst, folks. So I don't know who, but in the scenario of the calling, there are people who make the decision. We need to have fewer people. And my only question is why wouldn't they? Like if they have the ability, why wouldn't they? If you were to say they like us around, then why do they keep telling us that robots will do everything? Have you ever meditated on this fucking future they describe? And, add, and, and then think about this. When I look at the fucking construction in Seattle, when I look at the fucking buildings they're building here, these buildings are not built to last, folks. A, a very small nuclear device would probably cause most of these fucking buildings to blow over like houses of cards. They look like houses of cards. That's how, how structurally solid the fucking buildings seem here, that they're building now. They don't look like they're building for a future folks. They look like they're building for something that's gonna dry up and blow away. They look like they're building for one of those fucking experimental fucking little towns they had when they tested nukes in Nevada back in the fucking fifties. You know the make-believe little house with the make-believe little family, watching the fucking TV as the overblast from the, well, 30 or 40 kiloton device explodes and comes by. That wind going 300 miles an hour blowing over the plywood town. Yeah, the shit they're building now looks like shit designed for nuclear bomb testing in Seattle. So if you're going to tell me they care about us or they wouldn't do this to us, I don't know, folks. Next scenario, aliens. Oh, the aliens are coming, folks the aliens are on their way they've decided uh, tomorrow is the day all of their starships have left hyperspace (laughs) yeah aliens fucking aliens i'm a christian okay so i have to give you my perspective on this one first if they were to tell us tomorrow that aliens have arrived and I just got to tell you, folks, I, I'm, just, I'm shooting from the hip here. I would consider that a marker for the end times. For a couple of reasons. Number one, there are no aliens, okay? It, it, it is part of my belief system. I know some of you say, but Dan, what about Star Trek? What about Star Wars? What about E.T. and Close Encounters? Well, you know, those are movies. And there are movies about aliens, I have no doubt of that. And, and and listen, folks, if you're asking me, is it possible that the government would use the alien conspiracy as cover for really advanced projects? It's not only possible, I think it's extremely likely. It's extremely likely that the UFO phenomena was promulgated by the deep state so that they could fucking do all their crazy-ass shit. Listen, you need to research a guy by the name of Kelly Johnson. You ever hear of the U-2 spy plane? You ever hear of the SR-71? You ever hear of the experimental hydrogen jet plane that they were going to deploy but never did or they say they didn't? Kelly Johnson. Kelly Johnson of Lockheed Skunk Works. And yeah, when we're talking about Skunk Works, we're talking about Area 51. In the 1950s, Kelly Johnson, okay, and this is stuff that is quote unquote open source, not classified, available. You can read this yourself. In the 1950s, Kelly Johnson and his team of engineers—they designed the SR-71 with slide rules, with logbooks, with with fucking fucking drafting tables. They designed they designed the SR-71. They didn't have any fucking supercomputers. They might have had one computer they could have sent calculations to, but the bottom line is they did it the old-fashioned way. And that was the 1950s, folks. 1950s. I keep emphasizing that because if they could do that in the 1950s, what do you think they could have done by the 1980s? I really don't know. Some people think there is a craft called the TR-3B. And the TR-3B is a nuclear-powered craft that uses some sort of electrogravitics, maybe a controlled plasma system, Perhaps that fucking you know (laughs) that what was it The, the the Townsend Drive T T Townsend Brown or Townsend Brown Drive, who knows? Lots of stories, folks. If the aliens, if if Trump came out and there was a news conference and he said there are aliens, we know who they are. We talk to them. I would probably, yeah, my little hiatus from going to church would end immediately, and I would probably have to get more committed about my connection to God. You know, For those of you who are listeners, I've been in a weird place vis-a-vis God the last couple months. It's not a question of faith, though. Not a question of faith, it's a question of other shit. Kind of involving my fellow man, my fellow human being, and my relationship to them, and how I feel about it. Don't want to go into it right now. So my feeling on the aliens is that they would essentially be the Nephilim and the demons. And this isn't original, folks. Other Christians have said similar things. This is not original. I simply agree with them. I think that if the aliens were announced, we're essentially talking about demons and fallen angels. And the offspring of fallen angels. And ultimately, Lucifer's plan. And yeah, the alien thing would be a great way because you could imagine some alien dude showing up saying, listen, we're going to help you, but y'all got to change and we're going to give you, you know, free food, free water, you know, clean air, all the shit you need. But you're going to have to like, you know, put this little fucking thing in your arm so you can go to the fucking, you know, machine to get your food every day. And if you don't obey us or follow the new world religion of whatever we tell you to do, you're, you're, yeah, you're not going to eat. And if you don't eat, you're going to die. My name is Lord Gombo, so Planet Thirty One. Yeah. What is the likelihood of this scenario? I think it's kind of low. Um, I, I think the whole space gimmick thing is starting to peter out. You know. Th- it, to me, it's no accident that NASA does so much work with SpaceX right now. You know, SpaceX, that Elon Musk company. Elon Musk is a complete nutbag, nut, nutbird, nutball. He's a complete crooked piece of shit. But somehow he's untouchable right now. So my theory is, is that he keeps the whole space gimmick going. That's his job. And yeah, did I just say that space might be a gimmick? until someone takes me up there i'm gonna tell you straight up space might be a fucking gimmick okay i don't know what about satellites dan and i would say what about fiber optics they go everywhere now why would you need satellites dude it doesn't make any sense I think I beat the, the alien thing to death. So as a scenario, I don't think it's very likely, but if it did happen, my interpretation would probably be kind of religious from my perspective. Next scenario for the Great Discontinuity, professors at the University of Washington on January the 8th, 2025. Professors at the University of Washington and engineers and scientists at CERN in Switzerland. They make a joint announcement based upon logic and mathematics and other kinds of chicanery. The announcement is the following. We have proven definitively, scientifically, logically... Is made in 2023 that we have proven that the universe is a simulation. The likelihood of this one, in my view, is medium 50 50. I'm kind of 50 50 on the universe being a simulation. A couple reasons why. Number one, if you believe in God, God can make the universe any way God wants to. That's number one. Number two, if you ever thought about the mind-body problem and the situation of the brain vis-a-vis reality, then the difference between simulation and not simulation ain't much of a fucking difference. I mean, from your perspective as a conscious being, it's all a simulation, folks. What's happening in your brain organically speaking, is a fucking simulation. If you think you're seeing all of reality through your eyes or experience it through your ears, your fingers, your touch, your smell, no, you're not. You're experiencing a slice, and what's more important, you're experiencing an interpreted slice. A slice that has gone through filters, a slice of reality that's been reconstructed and provided for you by Consciousness Corporation in full Technicolor with stereo sound... I think it's 50 50 that the universe is a simulation also because of all the fucking glitches like i think there are things about reality that 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 seem rather strange now if there's a god it doesn't matter because god can create reality however god wants to and i really think for purposes of conversation that the simulation thing is a well so what in a way but here's the thing though if they proved it was a simulation, it also has another angle. The angle is there is no God. There is no God, but there is somebody or something that invented the simulation. So then all of a sudden people start asking a question of well, who created it? Why was it created? How was it created? Um I don't know. I mentioned this scenario because There are times when I suspect it could be true, but then I also remind myself if it were true, how would that fit with my beliefs in God? Because it kind of has to. I gotta be blunt, folks. I don't stop questioning just because I believe in God. I keep questioning. If I come across inconsistent facts, I just don't throw them away. I can't. So anyways. Next scenario is one of the blended ones. Which, which is to say that the next scenario applies no matter what. Any of the scenarios mentioned and the ones to follow will involve the next possible future. It's all blended, people. Blend, blend, blend. Like a blender. Starvation and cannibalism. Now, I know that you guys are saying to yourself, Dan, America has an obesity epidemic... We live a sedentary lifestyle, we have all this fucking junk food. Why would you be so worried... ...about, you know, starvation... ...and cannibalism? Why would you be so worried? Here's the deal, folks. I think for about half a century... ...maybe a little longer, maybe almost a century, but more like 50 years... Americans have been led to believe that food in economic terms is an inferior good, which means anybody can afford it. Um, And that in, in a sense you might even buy less of it as you get richer. That was one of the arguments they made in econ class back in the 90s that the reason why poor people were fatter is because you buy less food, which is an inferior good, as you get richer. That was a theory. I don't know that that's true. I think that our food is not very nutritious. I think that our food is probably even kind of toxic. So the fact that we have an obesity epidemic is not that fucking surprising. You know, we we produce very high sugar foods because that's what you get. When somebody says CO2 is the gas of life, what they're not explaining to you is how that changes the organic chemistry and how basically the plants become a lot less nutritious, less vitamins, less minerals, less stuff you fucking need and more sugar. Don't want to go off on that tangent, but yeah. Is it possible that food, something that Americans and frankly the entire developed world has taken for granted for at least half a century, is it possible that food will become an issue again? And that it could even get so bad that for a period of time people will starve. And that worse than that, and it does get worse, folks, because Cannibalism is not an ancient fucking thing. There is evidence that during the siege of Leningrad in 1942, Russians participated in cannibalism. And again, I'm not beating up on the Russians here, okay? Cannibalism existed during the famines in their Yeah. Okay, it turns out during famines, people will kind of push the envelope on what they're willing to eat, what they're willing to shove into their hole to live to the point that they'll eat their fellow human being. I'm not saying this is good, folks. I think this is terrible. But do I think that we are entering a period of American history where your next meal is not something you should take for granted? Your next meal might require a lot more work than you used to have to put into it. Your next meal might consume most of your paycheck in the not too distant future. folks, if you believe that food is a given, that having access to food, I'm going to also add water here too, having access to water you can drink, okay, potable water, water you can cook with, water you can drink, having access to water and food in the coming future is not going to be as easy as it used to be. Could be because of the culling. There are a lot of conspiracy theorists who believe that the starvation and the famine and the droughts are all things that are engineered and therefore avoidable. And yeah, that might be true. The fact that it might be avoidable is fucking irrelevant to whether it could happen. And here's the thing, folks. It looks like the Midwest was hit pretty hard by this year's weather. And that's a nice way of putting it as far as like food production goes. So here's the question you need to ask yourself for this scenario. How much food do you have on hand? Do you have a little food? Do you have a big old bag of rice? You know what, of everything. Buy a few bags of rice. Buy a few bags of dried beans. Believe it or not, it won't cost you a lot of money necessarily right now but it might actually buy you time, buy you peace of mind, in the not too distant future is almost too optimistic to discuss because I don't think the likelihood is so low that I call it low likelihood but I mention it because I don't want this all to be negative like I said folks scenario one if you're an optimist is your best bet Soviet Union style collapse hope and pray for that because that is the best case scenario I think for us right now But here's a really, really happy best case that is not at all likely. In fact, it's incredibly unlikely, but I'm going to give it to you. And this is the technology saves us. And better yet, technology liberates us. There are, in the year 2030, room temperature or better, essentially temperature tolerant, cheap, non-rare-earth metal required superconduction is created. Synthetic superconduction is now a thing and it will be mass produced. With synthetic superconduction, you will have superconducting cables all around the planet. You'll have giant solar farms ringing the equator, pumping electricity 24-7 to the entire planet. Because again, with cheap superconduction, You can transmit electricity anywhere on that cable you won't lose anything that's awesome you will also have anti-gravity anti-gravity will allow us to properly escape the earth's bounds the idea of bigger firecrackers and bigger cans elon musk you're a fucking moron um the path to the future is our non-newtonian drives. I mean, if space is a thing and if we expect to do something in space, it isn't going to be with rockets, folks. Rockets eh, they, they they might get you to the moon, although that's a big question mark. But rockets are not going to get you anywhere useful. Non-newtonian drives. So yeah, anti-gravity is discovered, free energy is discovered free energy and it's energy that anybody can produce. Everybody can have their own energy generator. We no longer have to have a grid, which means we don't even need the fucking superconducting shit. Holy fuck! We've got free fucking energy. Quantum telecommunication. What does that mean? It means point-to-point communication anywhere on planet Earth. No Um, no cell phone towers, no satellites. You don't need any of that. You're basically talking point to point, um, using quantum entanglement. I think that that's already a thing, folks. I think that's been a thing for a while. I read an article, Scientific American, back in the nineties, that had to do with using quantum entanglement. At the the time, they were talking about IBM, quote unquote, teleporting boron atoms, which is a bunch of bullshit. True, probably true, but what they were really doing was experimenting with essentially faster than light communication. That's another thing too about quantum communication. It is instantaneous, which means in theory, you could have a drone on Mars and you could have a camera on that fucking drone and you could control that drone real time with quantum telecommunications, real time, with ordinary, ordinary radio transmission. The typical round trip to Mars is an hour and 30 fucking minutes or more. That's bad. But with quantum telecommunication, you could you could control a robot on Mars instantaneously. Tell it to do things. You could see what it sees right now, not an hour from now. This would change the world, folks. There are technologies that might change the world. I don't know that they will. And i got to say, it's one of those situations where it's a race against time. Will society begin to collapse before these technologies actually become a thing? Will we solve the energy problem? The the energy problem is a real problem, folks. It it is what's going to prevent us from having a soft landing. I don't personally think we can have an infinite number of people on Earth. I really don't. And I'm not talking about the physical space for them to live. I'm talking about not destroying the earth completely, not turning it into a giant toilet bowl, you know, a giant fucking sewer. I think we kind of have to have some common sense about this shit. But the right set of technologies could buy us the time. We might be able to get through the coming tumult if we can, you know, solve a few problems. But I have to say, the question you have to ask yourself in this very, very low likelihood scenario is do you have faith that technology is improving? That technology's getting better? I mean, here's the thing, folks. I am, so, I am Daniel Sullivan. They expect me to believe that between 1969 and 1972, the United States sent multiple missions to the moon. Landed on the moon. Came home from the fucking moon. I'm supposed to believe that story. The problem is, I don't. But if it's a true story... If, if, if it is a true story then what the fuck have we been doing since then? I mean, I'm supposed to believe that computers have improved and science is awesome and engineering is excellent and everybody's getting better at everything. And if you, if you read the latest puff piece from Cato Institute or for the fucking FEE or whatever, or one of these fucking, you know, quote-unquote quasi-capitalist fucking cheerleading think tanks, I'm supposed to believe everything's getting better and better and better. What the fuck have we been doing in space? It must be a secret space program, because it seems like we've been doing nothing. Oh, we've been sending out probes. Really? Probes? That's what we've been doing? And now, if we want to go back to the moon, or, or anywhere else, but let's talk about the moon, we have to rediscover how we did it, because you can actually find on the record, go to YouTube, you can actually hear fucking NASA administrators admit they forgot how they went to the moon. That's weird, don't you think? So I don't know, folks. I don't know. I'm not really too hopeful about the um, technology is going to save us future, but there are people who believe it. So I threw threw you a bone for you techno fetishists who believe you'll have robot arms and legs. That's another topic coming soon. Next one up, I don't even want to mention it, but I'm going to because it's weird. it's kind of related before i go into this next one i need to tell you something i think that we get fucked with all the time we get fucked with in fact it might only be because they enjoy it and when i say they i don't know who they are i don't know they they might just be the collection of rich people who don't even have a cabal they're just members of that small club like george carlin said and you're not a member Yeah, the next topic is a weird one because I think it could be a psyop. So it might be total bullshit and the likelihood of the next one is really low because if it's true again I'm not basing the likelihood on necessarily anything other than a kind of reductio ad absurdum. The flat earth. Okay folks I am not claiming there is a flat earth I am not remotely believing this shit, but I am telling you right now that there's weird stuff, like Antarctica. My whole fucking life, it's this giant continent, but all we ever get out of Antarctica are these little bits and pieces of these fucking weird stories that they're not really that interesting, and it's like my whole life I've had this sense that they're keeping secrets there. Who the fuck knows what's going on in Antarctica? I don't know. It could be just a big, barren, frozen desert. It really could be. Nothing interesting, nothing to see. But it's kind of weird that every once in a while you get fucking celebrities going down there to see what the fuck's going on in Antarctica. And with respect to the scenario involving culling, like killing off lots of people, because, hey, why not? Antarctica looks like a good place to hang out during the culling. It looks like where you'd be. Like, if, if I was, you know, one of these really rich people that had the moral sensibility of Ted Bundy, I would probably pick Antarctica as my, as my safe zone for all my good, sociopathic, narcissistic, scumbag friends, just like me. I, I think that there's, you know, it's like SpaceX. SpaceX looks like bullshit. You, remember, you know that fucking um, launch of the fucking Tesla into space on its way to Mars? I watched that video, that video looks like bullshit, there is no way that's a real car. Either that was not a real car or it was bullshit, let me explain why. If you don't know what a black body is, a black body is any body that absorbs most or all of solar radiation. Well, if you looked at the fucking molding on the inside of that fucking Tesla that was exposed to, you know, the vacuum of space and the sun, direct sunlight. It should have been burning. It should have been very hot. And anything that was rubber molding with little tiny, um, you know, air bubbles in them, those air bubbles would have expanded out, folks. You would have seen all that rubber molding, that big fucking rubber fucking wheel, that shit would have blown up like a fucking balloon before it exploded in the vacuum of space. Under the intense heat of the sun, a lot of things on that fucking car would have been melting. They didn't. Apparently, no problem, no issue. Which means that either A, it wasn't a real fucking car, or B, that shit did not happen in space. That was a fucking Hollywood set bullshit. So I, I do call bullshit on SpaceX. It does look like, like you know, a shit show of crap and, and nothing real going on there. But it still doesn't prove anything. The fact that space might be a gimmick, the fact that SpaceX, that company, might be a gimmick, the fact that maybe we didn't go to the moon, that doesn't prove anything. It doesn't prove the Earth is flat, folks. I mention this because if we found that shit out, that very low likelihood shit, wow, that would be huge. And I'll also add this. As a Christian, I don't think there's any way this could be true. Because if it was true then it would imply that, yeah, maybe God gave us free will, but up to a point. Because once you find that you're living in a giant terrarium, then you kind of have to settle for the idea that you really don't have much free will. At least you don't have any free will to go outside the fucking terrarium. Anyways, my question for you before we go to the next scenario is, have you ever been to space... Have you ever traveled in a spaceship at half the speed of light? Have you ever been to the moon or Mars or any of the planets beyond? Have you ever been? Topic. Remember, this shit's blended, folks. So, like in the Soviet Union collapse scenario, this next topic could also apply along with starvation. Remember, some of these things are blended. Don't think you get. Don't even for a moment think. Well, oh, good news. I'm on the Soviet scenario. That means there'll be plenty of food. No, 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 no. Um, the starvation probably goes with that too. Next topic is civil war and let's define what civil war is before we say this is a possible scenario. Let's define civil war as a scenario. A lot of people because of American, the way American history is taught and boy, there's a lot of propaganda in that. A lot of people believe that civil war looks like what happened in the United States between 1861 and 1865. They believe that the quote-unquote American Civil War is a typical case. In fact, I don't think the American Civil War was a civil war at all. Um, Civil War conceptually comes from ancient Rome. To be blunt, that's kind of like the nexus of it. Civil War comes from a period of time in ancient Rome, and it deals with a city of Rome, a single city, at odds with itself, essentially in a state of insurrection, in a situation where various parties, various groups, you know, the patricians of ancient Rome, they loved their little groups and gangs. Various gangs waged war on each other. And by the time you get to the first century BC, um. In the time of people like you know, Julius Caesar, there were a lot of very wealthy Romans who were essentially at, at war with each other. Um, so yeah, anyways. Um, oh, civil War. A modern example of a true civil war would be what happened to Yugoslavia in the 1990s or even the situation in Lebanon for the last few decades, but maybe mostly in the 1980s, a true civil war is where from block to block, street to street, section of town to section of town, you don't know if it's friend or foe. The American Civil War, you had uniforms. You had navies. You had capitals and elected leaders on both fucking sides, okay? The American Civil War essentially involved organized armies. So calling it a civil war mostly works for propaganda purposes. It has nothing to do with what actually happened. It was a war between two nations. Now, it turns out that one of the nations carved itself out of you know the United States right before the Civil War. That is true. It formed itself rather quickly as the Confederacy, but the fact is it was a nation unified in a war, okay? The reason why you know it was a war is you could sign a fucking treaty. There was no way to sign a treaty in Yugoslavia back in the 1990s. There were too many fucking groups, too many clans, too many gangs, too many tribes. Too many groups of people killing each other. How the fuck would you have a peace conference? Okay, it is true, NATO, in the late 1990s, um, right about the time that Clinton was being impeached, I wonder if that's random, um, it's true that NATO went into Yugoslavia and taught Serbia a lesson when it came to um, the fucking Albanians in Kosovo whatnot. Uh But the bottom line is there was no real peace treaty. It was mostly just Europe stepped in and forced the peace. So my contention before we talk about civil war is that the American civil war of the 1860s was not a civil war. It was a war between two nations. I don't give a fuck that one of the nations was created in a matter of months. It's irrelevant. It was a war between two states, between two nations. If we have a civil war, an actual civil war in this country, if we're lucky, it will look like Yugoslavia. I think you need to imagine the worst parts of Baltimore, the worst parts of Chicago, the worst parts of cities today, and then multiply that by about 10,000, and then you're beginning to get a sense of what a civil war in the United States would look like. Imagine Beirut, Lebanon, but in every fucking city. Imagine going from block to block and not knowing which sniper is going to kill you. Is it going to be the Black Army sniper? Is it going to be the Mexican hoodie sniper? Is it going to be the Ching Chong gang? Because I promise you, it will be everybody against everybody. And that's the other thing about civil war, and I need to mention this again. There is no easy way to extract yourself from it. Let me be more fucking specific. Have you ever heard of Robert E. Lee? You ever hear Robert E. Lee? Yeah, he was a general in the Confederate Army. In 1864, months before the end of the war, like less than a year, and I think it was after the Battle of the Wilderness, generals went to Robert E. Lee and said, we need to take confederates and put them up in the hills and put them up in the mountains to fight a guerrilla war so if we make a peace the south can fight on the south continues right if we make the peace robert e lee specifically said no you need to understand folks he chose to avoid civil war that would have ensured civil war. He knew, he understood as a student of history what that would look like. The worst ravages of the French Revolution, the, the worst periods of chaos, were not technically revolution When the, during that period of time in France. It was basically the period of time during the revolution when in fact it was a civil war. I hate to break it to you, but a huge portion of the French Revolution was really just a Civil War. Oh, I'm sorry, no one told you that. And believe me, the Civil War in France, where it was several territories against several territories, confusing as fuck. Lots more people die. A lot harder to make any kind of fucking peace. Once civil society breaks down, this is something Robert E. Lee knew, Robert E. Lee knew this. Once civil society breaks down in a true civil war, it is difficult, almost impossible to restore it. Think about ancient Rome, okay? Rome, as a civilization, survived the civil wars that started in the middle of the the first century BC and then basically ended about 60 years later. Rome did survive that period, but the Republic did not. Okay, the only way it survived was by having a perpetual dictatorship, something that in Roman history, culture and law was always supposed to be temporary. Is it true that in Roman law they had they had a a possibility of having a dictator? Sure, they did. They did that during the Punic Wars, you know, giving a person temporary power. But it's supposed to be temporary. So, yeah, I think, I think Civil War is on the menu, folks, and I think that it has a 50-50 likelihood. I think that if we are lucky enough to drift into the Soviet Union collapse scenario, and if we are unlucky enough to have some really bad years for harvesting them their foods, I think people could start turning on each other. And i got to say, we have plenty of guns, plenty of ammo between government and civilians, there's plenty of fucking equipment in this country right now to have a good old fashioned bloody civil war. And it's entirely plausible that if we go down that road, we never recover. And so my question for you in this scenario, and this is important. How well do you know your neighbors? How well do you know the people next door? How how often do you walk down the street and say hello to people? Folks, What will prevent a civil war is for people to have community. What prevents a civil war is for people to disagree without treating each other like enemies. But I gotta say, right now in America, people are disagreeing with each other and then deciding that that's a reason to kill somebody. And sure, it may not be taking actual form yet. It might just be in the head, so to speak. Although I've seen videos of that fucking knockout game. And that shit looks serious, folks. next scenario, again, blended, in any scenario where civic society breaks down, the next scenario applies, and I've spoken about this one before, but my Tia list of discontinuity scenarios would not be fucking complete without it. This scenario involves the cascade failure of nuclear reactors, and I believe there's been a, a scientist recently who, who coined the term the Plutocene, you know, a name for a period of geologic history that applies to the time after every reactor on Earth melts down. Um, the United States has roughly 100 nuclear reactors. Most of those are either boiling water or pressurized steam. The boiling water reactors, which is most of them, um, let's say it's maybe fifty or sixty of them. They're pretty much all east of the Mississippi, and they're all next to a body of water, whether it's a river, a lake, or the ocean. Why? Because these reactors use that water and the ambient heat differential, okay again, it's a heat exchange to cool the reactor to cool the cooling to cool the control rods keep the control rods from melting so that the reactor, whether it's operating or in scram mode, doesn't melt down. It takes years and years and years to shutter a reactor. So here's the thing about nuclear reactors. It is true you can shut them down, which means you can fully insert the control rods. It is not true that they're actually totally shut down at that point. You still have to pump water through them because if that water stops flowing, if that heat builds up, those control rods melt. And then you got Fukushima. So imagine if we lose a reactor east of the Mississippi. And when I say lose it, I mean exactly like Fukushima. We have a multiple reactor event, we have a cook-off, we have essentially China Syndrome. Imagine if it's one of the reactors, you know, I I don't know, there's one in Florida, I always forget the name of it, but there's one in Florida, and there's one not too far from New York City. I think, is the one not too far from New York City, is that Turkey Point? I don't know. The point is, one of these reactors goes Fukushima. According to this scenario, you're going to get panic, you're going to get chaos, you're going to get people fleeing, you're going to get congestion. Which means that if you have another reactor within 100 or 200 miles, there's a chance that its ability to maintain stable operation, you know, with employees that show up for work and whatnot, there's a chance that its own reliability goes down as a result of the chaos. You see where this is going, folks. One failure leads to another. And ultimately, if you get enough of these reactors melting down, huge portions of our country are going to be in a total state of fucking chaos. Just because of the multiple meltdowns. Um, what is the likelihood of this scenario? I don't know. I had a hard time estimating this. I kind of think that if we have a civil war, or any type of insurrection, or any type of social chaos, I think we're going to have. I think that likelihood probabilities say we're going to lose at least one of these. I mean, one of these are going to is going to get lost. I I don't see how you maintain normal operation of a nuclear power plant in the middle of a civil war. I just don't. And I guess the only question for this scenario, and it's a blended scenario, so you can apply this one to all of the above, especially including nuclear war. If there's a nuclear war, I don't see how you're going to have the time to shutter these things And shuttering them means a whole series of procedures that just, it won't happen. It takes years. You won't have years. You won't even have minutes. Well, you might have minutes. You won't have years. So if there's a nuclear war, I think you can kiss every fucking boiling water reactor. Um, Probably kiss them goodbye in terms of maintaining stability. And that, that means that a bad situation gets horribly worse. Next fucking scenario also blended natural pandemic and now I say natural pandemic because we talked about the scenario involving culling and culling is its own deliberate thing that's where some evil cabal decides that a whole bunch of us need to die and so they poison the air or the water or the food or they send out some type of monkey virus And that would be terrible. Fucking monkey virus. I don't want a monkey virus. A natural pandemic means a bacteria or a virus or something else that emerges naturally and impacts the human population in the way, for example, the Spanish flu did in 19... 18. Um, although there's reason to believe that that story is a bit sketchy, a pandemic would be like the Black Plague um, in the 14th century. Um, something like that could take out a lot of people. Between 20 and 50 percent of the human population could get killed by a natural pandemic. By a natural pandemic, and it gets worse because of the way we practice healthcare, because of the overuse of um, antibiotics, because of frankly the way hospitals are designed, we are breeding, we are creating, as a result of the way we live, probably some of the most dangerous bacteria that have ever come into existence. And and, and so calling it a natural pandemic is a little bit is a little bit squishy. But the point is, one of these potential scenarios is a pandemic. Hey, with the permafrost not so permanently frozen any longer there's a lot of nasty nasty shit that's been frozen a long ass time and who the fuck knows what happens then we are talking about materials that have been frozen for tens of thousands of years even hundreds of thousands of years who the fuck knows what kind of weird ass shit comes out of the permafrost So, yeah, natural pandemic, I think, is 50-50. It's a medium likelihood. But is it something that can happen? Yes. Is it something that could happen along with other scenarios? Hells yeah. Starvation, famine, war, all these things um, enable pandemic. They make pandemic more likely, not less. And I'll say this, too. The main culprits might be virus or bacteria. But what about fungus? Oh, you're saying, Dan, I need to be worried about the mushroom spores. Well, it turns out there is a new kind of candida, one that does not respond to antifungal medications. And this new kind of candida slowly eats you alive. And it spreads through the air, through the touch, through the everything. Yeah, I guess ultraviolet light helps, right? But, you know, global dimming... Yeah, this candida's pretty bad. And I gotta say, if you know anything about how fungus attack the body, I'd rather get a virus or a bacteria. Being slowly eaten alive by a fungus has to be the most miserable fucking way to die, I can imagine, other than fucking stage... Yeah, it would be between stage 4 cancer and slowly beaten, eaten by a fungus that cannot be killed. Because that fungus is basically using chemistry to melt you. That's how these things digest you. That's how the fucking mushroom, the fucking spore, the fungus digest you. Essentially producing, um, yeah, catalyst, uh, you know, a chemical compound that essentially helps, yeah, dissolve your flesh. I think it's 50-50, the pandemic, and who knows what causes it. Next scenario, it's related to technology we've already discussed, but this is the one where technology takes on a life of its own. This is the technological singularity as envisioned by John von Neumann, famous, famous mathematician, computer scientist, and economist. And publicized in Ray Kurzweil's 2005 book, you know, about the Singularity. The Singularity Nears. The technological singularity is the point at which technology um transcends the human. Technology becomes more powerful. Technology overcomes the human. Now what does this mean? It could mean all kinds of fucking things, folks. It could mean transhumanism, where basically we merge with machine the way that Ray Kurzweil thinks it's going to happen. It could be the robot apocalypse, folks. It could be that the robots take over completely and we are just eliminated. The technological singularity is almost like a tidal wave of automation and technology that the human race cannot survive. It is a, a situation where we drown under it. We drown within it. We are, we're consumed by it. We are digested. Maybe that's a good way of describing it. The technological singularity is where humanity is digested by its machines, in one form or another. know if I'm afraid of the robot apocalypse, folks. I don't know. But I will say this, it may have already occurred and you didn't notice. When I look around and I see people with their little phones, am I seeing a person, or am I seeing a chunky, fat, protein, water bag appendage to that fucking phone? Which means maybe the phone is the thing dragging the person around. So what's the likelihood of the machine apocalypse where the machines digest humanity and poop us out either alive as some sort of half-human, half-machine gumbus, or just poop us out completely as just piles of poop, or just dead bodies left by the wayside? You know, if, if the computers achieve consciousness, why wouldn't they just all send us little Amazon... Deliveries of our pharmaceuticals, but all the pills contain poison Imagine that they could probably take out half of us just by electronic delivery of our pharmaceuticals They could just put fentanyl in all of our food and all of our deliveries Holy fuck. What if Amazon put fentanyl on all the packages so just touching them made you die? But it wouldn't be Amazon. It would be Alexa, right? Hey Alexa. When are you going to kill me? The last scenario of the future discontinuity I'm going to discuss before I close things out. I I won't even I won't even attempt to give it a fucking likelihood. It is a horrible scenario. It is absurdly horrible. It is a scenario I do not think is likely, but I fear if it happened, I don't know what I would do. I don't think I could be. Survive, I, I don't think I could survive in the world that would match the scenario I'm about to describe. So imagine if human, the human race continued as it is in the sort of mediocre destruction turning everything into a giant poop hole. Imagine if we completely destroy the natural world, we completely obliterate every other living thing. But then we do something really cool, right? We replace it. Every fish, every plant, every fucking deer, every fucking raccoon. We, we replace all these fucking creatures, but with genetically modified... Industrial, industrially homogenized, technologically mogrified versions, versions, better versions. So instead of going into the woods and seeing deer, and again, all of these animals would be owned by corporations, all of these plants, all these animals, all this life would be branded, trademarked, patented by corporations. So when you go into the woods, which would be called the Tiger Woods. You wouldn't see deer. No, 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 you would see John Deer, And the deer wouldn't have normal legs. They would have these little green wheels that would spin them about at 50 miles an hour. There wouldn't be any more chickens. It would be Chicken McNuggets. Eagles would not bear eggs, They would bear bears and missiles. (laughs) Trees would form their branches and their leaves in the shapes of logos. Rivers would etch out little slogans for corporations that could be seen from space. Facebook would buy the moon. Facebook would buy the moon. Facebook would buy Luna and then etch Fuckerberg's face into it. So as you're standing on some night camping next to the river Styx, now owned by the band Styx, Stare up at that beautiful moon, the moon that looks like Fuckerberg, you'll see a John Deere galloping by on its wheels, wheels going fast, galloping wheels, fuck. And as you slowly fall asleep, you'll you'll hear the singing of the chicken McNuggets. <laughs> I don't think that that scenario is likely, folks, the scenario of all life being replaced by corporate life, but I do fear it because it's a kind of, well, a not very natural way of interacting with our existence. It would be the ultimate abstraction and the ultimate fuck you to God and nature. So I'm kind of hoping that the deer stay deer and not John Deere that the chickens are just chickens and the McNuggets go away and i'm kind of i'm kind of hoping that eagles lay eggs and that they don't bear bears or fucking missiles Now we went over a lot of scenarios in this not-so-brief podcast and what else could happen? Anything could happen. The thing about the great discontinuity is almost by definition, almost by definition, anything that can happen, will happen, would happen, could happen, should happen, might happen, just don't be surprised if it happens, you fuck. Now, the other thing you might ask before I close out this podcast, what power do you have? Well, that's a good fucking question. As James Howard Kunstler would say, you can have intelligent responses. You can develop strategies, plans, various techniques for dealing with the situation. You might not have any magical way out, but there might be a common sense, logical way out. So that's number one. Number two, don't give up on pragmatic dreaming, okay? I don't know if Guy McPherson is right or wrong, but like Dane Wigington, he seems like a sincere, intelligent guy. So when I hear him talk about the fact that we're all dead in five years, and believe me, that's faster than Acacio Cortez's timeline, when Guy McPherson tells me that within five years, we will all be dead, that pretty much tells me there is no hope. On the other hand, I say be a pragmatic dreamer. You remember the whole, the whole comparing contrast between the movie When Worlds Collide and Melancholia? That's an important comparison for this conversation, folks. I'm not telling you to be stupid. I'm not telling you to waste time on something that is truly hopeless. But what I am telling you is that there's nothing wrong with pragmatic dreaming, especially if you have kids, especially if there are people in your life who need a little bit of hope, even if it's just a scrap of hope to hold on to. Kind of why I led with the most likely best-case scenario, Do I think it's likely we're going to have a nice Soviet Union-style collapse? Eh, I don't think it's that likely. But I will tell you, it is the one scenario I can kind of rationalize our present towards. Like, I can see how we get from here to there. The magical technology wonderland of the Jetson future. Guys, I grew up watching those cartoons, and I'm not a young man. I am 50 years old. I was led to believe a long time ago that we would have flying cars and all kinds of super technology. And yeah, we got a lot of shit. I'll admit, we got the drones and the fucking computers and we got cameras everywhere. But there's a lot of that technology that we were sort of promised, so to speak, that never happened. Last but not least, don't give up on yourself. And, And don't give up on everybody. A lot of people are going to go crazy. A lot of people on those first days, during those first days when they realize the world has changed completely, a lot of people are going to go through denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance rapidly. Rapidly. They will go through the Kubler-Ross stages of grieving at the speed of fucking light and my advice is if you can avoid those people okay unless you unless they're part of your life unless they're friends or family avoid them they have to go through their own process and a lot of people are going to go irredeemably crazy they're going to go batshit crazy they will never get to acceptance they will be stuck at denial anger bargaining for whatever days they have left until in their fit of mayhem, they, are, they either kill themselves or they are killed. What I am saying is don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on everybody. A lot of people might go crazy. That doesn't mean everybody's going to go crazy. A lot of people might choose darkness. They might choose to commit evil to survive. That doesn't mean you have to. A lot of people will, will, will sink to cannibalism. I'm just going to be honest with you. Things could get that hard. And you don't have to. I mean, yeah, it could be harder for you to choose not to, but that's still a choice, folks. Do not give up on yourself. Do not give up on your fellow man. Do not give up the possibility that there is still one more thing you can try. And if you feel powerless, if you feel like there's no way for you to take control of your destiny, then you're already thinking the wrong way. Okay? For, out, for however many days you have left, years or months or whatever, for whatever fucking brief time you have on planet Earth, you can either control your destiny or you can give that power to somebody else. My advice is, if you've been used to giving your power to somebody else um, your mom, your dad, your friends or, you know, the government if you've been used to giving your power to the government your whole fucking life you need to learn how to take that power back and you don't have a lot of time and I don't mean forming a revolutionary army or fucking pitchforks, I mean take back your control of the way you see the world. You don't have to do anything um, other than that. And that by itself might be enough. I truly don't know. Anyways, for this now Saturday morning, holy shit, we started before midnight. I told you there was a danger I would talk too long. This might be the longest podcast I've had in a while so before i go I'll, I'll say this again if you enjoy my podcast if you are a person who has extra money you've taken care of all the things you need to take care of and the people you love and like i said you like my podcast feel free to click on that venmo link on my home page on soundcloud you know off the right hand panel says donate at venmo or you can click on the Venmo link I'll put in the description of this fucking podcast. And for this Saturday morning at approximately 1 a.m., somewhere before the great discontinuity, but somewhere not far from it, I hope you're doing okay. And I hope you remember this simple, solemn truth. None of us is getting out of this alive.